Um, this is the, the third weekend that the Rushworth family have been uh, with us in Sheffield, having uh, sent them uh, a little over a year ago uh, to, uh, to Milton in Canada. It's our delight to have had them back for these three weeks. I'm sure you'll agree. So why don't we welcome Mark, who's going to preach. Thank you. It's good to be back. As Dan said, uh, we've been in Milton, uh, Ontario, in Canada, for a year now. I can't believe it. And uh, it's been so good to be back in Sheffield, uh, where we live many of our lives. Uh, many of our lives? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've become a Hindu since I went to Canada. <laughs> it's good to know nothing changes, isn't it? Um, <laughs> enjoyed many years. Uh, you'll get a chance to meet Debbie and the kids again. I think they're going to pop in for coffee uh, at the end. So I bring greetings from Milton, uh, from the church there. They're just preparing, or we're just preparing, uh, to go into a new building on a Sunday morning, which is going to be very exciting. Uh, the building that we've got at the moment is a little small, but we're going to meet somewhere new on a Sunday morning, and that's going to start from next week. So I've left them all to get on with it. And uh, I've enjoyed a holiday here, <laughs> so it's, been, it's worked out pretty well. Um, there was uh, one of the guys there, um, people in Canada are very polite, really, it's lovely. But, um, what, <laughs> but there was, there's one guy who spoke to me a few weeks ago, uh, and he's, he's fairly blunt. And uh, he said, oh, I've been in, in this church for four years now. He said, I've seen a lot of changes. Uh, I said, oh, well, what's, what's changed? Has it been, has it been good? He said, oh, yeah, he said, it's been good. He said, Jim, Jim, who's the leader of the church there, he said, his, his preaching, it's really come on. He's, he, he, like, makes me cry sometimes, weep, you know, just because God's moving when he preaches. I said, that's really good. He said that Jordan, who uh, works alongside me, he's another of the leaders there who's just come in. He said, Jordan's great, isn't he? He's, uh, he's, really, he's really passionate about God. He said, his preaching's fantastic. He said, he... He could, he could do with preaching a bit more, really. And I said, yeah, he's really good. And, and then he looked at me and he goes, to be honest, you could do with preaching a bit less. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Thanks for your honesty. Um, so anyway, I'm preaching three times today, so I don't know if I'm going to quite go with that. It's going to be fun. First time preaching three times in a day. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Acts and chapter 16. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to that. Um, if you haven't got a Bible, I don't know if there's any to give out or borrow anymore, but it'll be up on the screen. So there we go. Um, when I was thinking, what, what shall I bring uh, to the church in Sheffield? This is a passage that's really helped me in the last uh, few months. And uh, so I'm kind of wrestling with it and thinking, is this just for me or is this something to bring to the church? But I did feel it was something to share with you guys. Um, so I hope it helps. So here we go. We're going to read Acts chapter 16. And from verse 11 to verse 40, verse 11 to verse 40, it says this, from, this is Paul on uh, his journey and Luke is recounting it. From Troas we set out, oh no, we're not going to go from there, we're going to go from verse 6. Sorry about that. <laughs> the first bit's a key bit, I can't miss that. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. 
During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we set out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and then the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. One of them listening was a woman called Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl uh, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, they dragged Paul and Silas, seized Paul and Silas, and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing the city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "'Don't harm yourselves. We're all here.' The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. And then they left. Okay, this is uh, Paul and Silas and his companions, Luke and others, on their journey to uh, Philippi and how they got there. And uh, it's really interesting to look at this. Now, first of all, let's just put a map up because we hear a lot of places named, especially at the start of this. Uh, It's helpful to see where Paul actually started and went. So he sets off down in Antioch, which is at the right-hand side there, and he's traveling through uh, different areas, different regions, through Lystra. 
You follow the dots through and the arrows. And he gets there into that large section there in the right-hand mass is Asia. And um, Paul is trying to get into Asia. He thinks the gospel needs preaching in Asia. I mean, look at some of the cities there. Um, We've got Colossae and uh, Ephesus is in there as well, even though it's there just on the side. And Smyrna and Philadelphia and Laodicea and all these names that you all have heard uh, as you read the Bible. Paul's saying these places need the gospel. And he's trying to get into there and it says um, he's not allowed to. In fact, it doesn't say that the enemy stops him. Um, He's prevented from doing so by God. Um, And... uh, off he's going, he's trying to get in. He then tries to go into Bithynia, which is further north. And it says he can't get in there either. The Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow him to. Um, Paul is trying to get into these places to preach the gospel. And he's being prevented. We might think, well, the enemy's at work. The Bible says it was God. It was God who was preventing him from going into these places. Finally, and, so, and Paul's a man who's led by the Spirit. Paul's a man who was led by the Spirit and... Uh, it kind of looks as though he's trying random places. Well, let's try Asia. Oh, we can't go there. Let's try Bithynia. No, we can't get in there either. Let's randomly try all of these places to see where we can go. It doesn't actually say how he was prevented and how he knew it was God who was preventing him and, and, not, and not the enemy. Uh, I think in the book of Thessalonians, he talks about Satan preventing him getting somewhere. But here, he seems to know it's not the right place. So eventually he goes to Troas, which is there on the coast. And there he has this vision of a man of Macedonia. And he decides he's going to go over to Macedonia. So they sail over the sea or the, or the water, the Mediterranean, uh, Aegean Sea. And there they go. And they, they reach Philippi, which is at the top of your map there. Um, so it, it looks as though Paul doesn't really know what he's doing. But Luke is clear, uh, this is God's sovereign plan. Paul was a man who made plans, but God changed them because God had a plan, as we've been hearing. God had a plan. His plan was different to Paul's plan. Uh, But Paul had heard something from God. You see that he plans it. He doesn't just do it randomly. You see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15... We might come back to that map in a minute. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul says uh, to the Corinthians, uh, Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you. First, so you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way back to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and to have you send me on my way to Judea. This is another church, but Paul's still making plans. Then he says, When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner, in the same breath that I say yes, yes, and no, no? He's basically saying, I'm not making plans lightly. I'm making plans. I'm seeking God. God's putting something in my heart. But actually then, things don't always work out quite the way I think they're going to work out. But God's got a plan. God has a plan. Um, So it's not that Paul's plans to preach in Asia weren't of God. I don't know if you just want to just put that map up for one more second. It's not that they weren't of God, it's just God didn't want Paul there right at that moment, because of course the gospel needed to be preached in Asia. And as you see from the map, and if you read your Bible, by Acts 18, Paul has come and he's in Ephesus. Where is Ephesus? It's in Asia. Well, that's where Paul was feeling called by God to go. God got him there. 
And of course, God, uh, Paul visited many of these cities and many of the books and the letters that he's written are to these churches. But right now, Paul, God didn't want Paul to go there. He would end up there fairly soon. Thank you. That's fine. God often puts things on our hearts. God often speaks to us. And we think, yes, we, we've heard from God here. We've got something on our heart. And we assume that means it's going to happen straight away. We think, okay, that means we're going to go directly there. Paul's heard from God, I need to go to Asia. Right, well, what's the most direct route to Asia? Well, God's wanting to get Paul to Asia, but he's not taking him on the most direct route. He's taking him around and about and different places and initially going further away, sailing across the sea, away from Asia, away from the place he's called to go. And we can have that too as well. We have things put on our heart by God and then God doesn't allow it to happen. Doors are closed. Circumstances changed. It looks as though God is leading us further away from the very thing that he put into our heart. But God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Moses was called by God to deliver Egypt from slave, Israel from slavery in Egypt. And Moses was in Egypt. He was there. He was brought up in the palace. He had access to Pharaoh the whole time. And what does God do? He takes him into Midian to be a shepherd for 40 years of his life. He takes him away. But God, I thought you'd called me to deliver my people, who I'm with here, from Pharaoh. Who's there in front of me? I can talk to him. No, I'm taking you out to Midian. I'm taking you to prepare. We need to be open to God leading us in a seemingly different direction to where we thought we were going. It doesn't mean that we've heard God wrongly. It doesn't mean that God's plans and purposes will not come about. Actually, they will. God's plans and purposes will always come about. But God might take us in a different route and not the direct route. We need to hold on to God. So Paul goes to Philippi. And it seems he's not there for too long. It, uh, Luke says we were there for several days um, in verse uh, 12. Later on, we find that this slave girl was pestering them for a few days, a good few days. Um, so we, however long he was there, it was a few days, a few weeks maybe. Um, they're not in Philippi for very long. Uh, but in those few days or weeks, he has three key encounters. And these three key encounters are actually going to be foundational to starting the church in Philippi. Firstly, they go down to the river. They feel this is a place where people may gather to pray. And Paul finds some women and he begins to preach to them. And one of them, Lydia, responds to the message that Paul has delivered. She gets baptized. She invites Paul and her companions to her home. Her home actually becomes the meeting place of the church. Um, we find that right at the end, don't we? He says, uh, at, at verse 40, Paul and Silas go to Lydia's house and they meet with the brothers. In other words, that's where the church has started to meet. So Lydia, the first person to receive the message, suddenly you've got a building to meet in. That's a pretty good plan, is that? Um, so she's obviously got a big house. She's wealthy. Uh, it's, it's a good start, isn't it? You know, Paul's had this vision and he goes, the first person he speaks to gets saved, suddenly they've got a building, starts to gather the church, wow, God's at work. God's at work. God's got a plan. 
The second encounter they have is with a slave girl. And they're going to the, to the place of prayer, probably the same place, and they meet a slave girl. And this slave girl starts to bother them. She starts to follow them around the whole time. She's really starting to bug them. She starts to follow them around. She's starting to shout out about them. The text literally says uh, that she had a python spirit. It says in the NIV, she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Uh, the actual text says she has a python spirit. Um, and, uh, and she's shouting things out. Now, as we read this, we might think, well, hang on, what's the problem? Because what, what's she shouting out? She's not shouting, don't listen to these guys, they're heretics. She's shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. What's up with that? <laughs> I mean, that seems like if you're going to have someone shouting out, someone supporting you, that's quite a good thing to be shouting out, isn't it? But, but Paul is becoming troubled. She wasn't just evangelizing. She wasn't just going around evangelizing because she'd, she'd got this different spirit within her. She's not full of the Holy Spirit. She's got this python spirit within her, a spirit of deception. Python, snake, deceptor, deceiver. And she's actually, she's actually not all that she seems. She's not everything that might initially be seem, it seems. Paul discerns the spirit behind it, behind what she's saying. And he's beginning to be troubled. Sometimes people can look very spiritual. Sometimes people can say the right things. They can say things and think, oh, they're such a holy person. They're so spiritual. They're praying all the time. They use this spiritual language. Well, actually, often we need the gift of discernment. Often we need to see, well, what's really going on in their life? What's really going on behind this? Because people can be deceiving if they're oppressed by different spirits, as this poor girl was. It wasn't her fault. She was oppressed by this spirit, uh, this python spirit. Um, but, but in other instances in church life, we can have this deception. We have to be aware of that. We have to be aware that not everyone is as they seem. That doesn't mean starting to be suspicious of everyone uh, at all. No, we don't want to do that. Um, but, but Jesus says, doesn't he, in Matthew 7 and, uh, and verse 15, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By your fruit you will recognize them. So he's saying, there are people who look like they're they're sheep. They look the same as the rest of us. Actually, some of them are false prophets. Some people will come and, and, and spread lies, spread deception, lead people away from the truth. Paul, uh, Jesus is saying they're wolves. They're wolves. You've got to watch out for them. What fruit? Look at the fruit that comes from their lives. We need to be discerning sometimes. Paul was discerning. And uh, he eventually got so fed up of all of this, he commands the spirit to leave her. And it goes. And, uh, and, it, and it's unclear whether this girl becomes a follower of Jesus. It doesn't say in the text. But she may well have done. She may well have done. And she may well have joined the church. She certainly leaves her old life behind. Because her owners realize we're not going to make any money out of her anymore. 
No longer is she able to uh, predict the future. So her life has changed after this encounter with Paul, one way or the other. Um, They're not going to be able to make any money. So here's another character, another person they come into contact with, very different to Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman. Very different. Possibly joining God's church as well. And God does that. God draws people from all sorts of different areas, backgrounds, to make up his glorious church. That's That's the way it will be in here. There'll be people from many, many different backgrounds. God's joined us all together with all of our stories, put us in his wonderful church. Of course, this girl being set free from her python spirit isn't received well by those who make money out of her. So they grab Paul and Silas and they bring them before the authorities. They drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities and stand them before the magistrates. And they say, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to ac- accept or practice. And, uh, and then it says the crowd join in the attack against Paul and Silas. So some of these men, uh, they've, they've got an interest in that. Oh, you've, you've ruined our business. You've ruined our way of making money. So they, they take them. But the rest of the crowd, they don't just ignore it. They're all going, yeah, yeah, they're troublemakers. They're all joining in as well. Suddenly, Paul and Silas have got the whole crowd against them. Everyone's against them. And they're beaten and they're stripped and they're thrown into jail. They're not even offered a trial. It was their right as Roman citizens to have a, tra- a trial. They're not even offered the opportunity to defend themselves. Totally ignored. Justice clearly is not being done. And they're put into the innermost cell and their feet are put in stocks and they're left there. And suddenly, suddenly from looking as though God was clearly with them, clearly with them, speaking to them in a vision, seeing through first people, suddenly Paul and Silas are alone and imprisoned. I mean, they thought they'd heard God. They thought they'd heard God about going to, going to uh, Philippi, uh, not to Asia. They thought they'd heard God about going to Asia, first of all, and then God had said, no, come to Philippi. And now they're chained in a cold cell. I mean, you can imagine how Silas is feeling at this point. Silas is like, Paul, you had the vision. So, uh, you know, what was it again? How did, you, how did you know that that man was from Macedonia anyway? What was he wearing a football top with the Macedonian? You know, how do you know? He could have been from anywhere. Maybe we should have gone somewhere else. Paul, what's going on? Confusion. Had they heard God right? There's the temptation to be in conflict with each other there. I mean, had they really not heard God? Was it, you know, they, they, were, they were pretty sure about Asia until they had this vision. Was it not clear at all? And we can find this in our own lives too, can't we? We step out in faith. We take those steps. We've heard God. We've had prophetic words confirming. Yes, we we know. We're going to step out in faith. And then it all seems to go wrong. It doesn't work out the way we expect it to go. People who had seemed open and friendly towards us, suddenly they're turning against us. And we make the right choices and we say, but this isn't right and surely justice should be done and justice just doesn't seem to happen. 
And we're saying, well, what's happened? Circumstances have just turned for the worst. It can be like that in our personal lives. It can be like that in our church life. We hear from God, oh, God's leading us as a church in this direction. And, and so we follow our leaders and we trust great things are going to happen. God's spoken. And, and then it can seem as though, well, what's happened? What's happening? It doesn't seem to be working out the way we thought it was going to work out. It doesn't seem to be happening the way God said it would happen or that we thought God was said it would happen. It actually might seem as though we're in a worse place than we were before. And we can be tempted to wonder, well, has God, has God deceived us? Has God deceived us here? And how we respond in times like that is, is huge. It's huge. How do we respond when things like that happen? One option, one possible response is just to let our hearts grow cold and become disillusioned or cynical about God. We, we start to question, well, can I ever hear God's voice? I was so clear. And now look, I mean, can I really hear God ever again? I don't know. We can become wary of trusting in God. And, and we don't voice it. We don't say that. We don't, we don't come to church and uh, uh, to a meeting and, and join together with the church and say, oh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I can trust God anymore. We don't come up and give a, a testimony. We, go, we might think that God's a liar. Is God, does has God lie to me? We're not going to say that. But we can believe it in our hearts. We'll probably still come along. We'll probably, you know, just be attenders. But we, we'll stop giving ourselves fully to things. When we hear things, we'll respond more cynically. Oh, I don't know. I've heard that before. And, and look what happened. I'm just going to sit and watch and observe. And it'll all fall apart. You just wait and see. We become cynics. We won't be all in. We won't be fully committed to, to God. And as I say, in our worst times, we'll think, has God lied to us? God's ways are often confusing. God doesn't often work in a neat, linear way. But as we heard at the, at the weekend from Terry, Isaiah 55 and verse 8, God says, My thoughts aren't your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has got ways and plans that we don't necessarily know about. Now, as Terry Virgo said last weekend, that doesn't mean we just kind of go, oh, it can't be me, or oh, I'm not going to do anything. I'll just sit back. It's all God. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'll never hear God. See, God gives us the privilege of being able to hear him and be able to understand him. But we need to understand God's plans. They're, more, they're far more involved and complex and, 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 uh, and, and magnificent than anything that we could come up with ourselves. We can't have a plan to turn our church around. We can't have a plan for our lives that's going to make it better. We can't have a plan for the nations. Actually, it's Jesus. It's God who has those plans. And we must submit ourselves to his. And Titus 1 verse 2 points out, God doesn't lie. Paul just kind of throws it in there in in the book of Titus, right at the start. Uh, He says... He says, Paul, uh, a servant of God, and then he says, uh, the apostle Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. 
A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. God's made promises, and God does not lie. God says he'll be with us, and God does not lie. God says he has a plan for our lives. We've even heard it this morning prophetically. And God does not lie. He's not a liar. We can believe in him. We can trust in him. But there may be hardship and there may be confusion. And Paul speaks about that again in many of his letters. Let's, let's take that second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, I referred to it a couple of weeks ago where Paul says, you know, I don't want you to be un- uninformed of the hardships that we've suffered. And then later on in, in chapter 4 uh, from verse 7, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death's at work in us, but life's at work in you. Paul says, we carry our treasure, God, around in jars of clay, our own bodies, to show that it's about God's power and not about our power. When he talks about himself, when he talks about us, the church, he says, well, actually, we, what are we? We're hard-pressed. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. That's what we are. But he says that with God's power at work, we're not crushed. We're not in despair. We're not abandoned. And we're not destroyed. Paul and Silas in the prison were hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, physically struck down. That's where they were. But as we'll see, they weren't crushed in despair, abandoned, or destroyed. God was at work in their weakness. God is at work in our weakness. We need to understand this is the message all the way through Scripture. It's going to be like this in our lives too. And we think, oh, are things going to get worse? Actually, sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. I mean, God's plan for our salvation looked like it was his greatest defeat, didn't it? Satan must have thought he was the victor. When he saw Christ hanging on the cross. He must have thought he'd won. The son of God. Who'd healed people. Who delivered people from bondage. And brought hope and life to people. Was there dying. A humiliating death on a cross. With criminals around side him. Taunted by people. People saying. Come on you saved others. Can't you save yourself? None of them realizing. That it was only by him refusing to save himself that we could be saved. And the greatest defeat, what seemed like God's greatest defeat, became the greatest triumph as God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, showing that the power of sin and death was finally defeated and we can enter life because of it. Let's not be deceived. We're not called to a victorious Christian life. We're not called to be immune from sickness and difficulties and all kinds of trouble. In fact, we're called to it. Jesus says, you will be persecuted. 
When you are persecuted, you're blessed. We will face trouble. We may even die for our faith. We read in Hebrews 35, and the, the chapter about the men and women of faith. And we hear about some of the, um, some of the, the, the great victories. And it, and it says, you know, here are people who shut the mouths of the lion, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the sword, weakness turned into strength, powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life again. We think, wow, what an amazing thing this is to be called to. And then it doesn't end. It says others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, whilst others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, ill-treated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. I think they can't be. They, They were the ones without faith. These were all commended for their faith. They were all commended for their faith. Why? Because they believed in God. Circumstances were different. Some people got healed. Some people don't get healed. Some people raised from the dead. Some not raised from the dead. Some defeat foreign armies. Some are sawn in two. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. But in in the end, it doesn't matter. Because what matters is they were commended for their faith. They carried on believing God. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And when we do that, we'll see God's life and power at work. But it's at work in and through our weakness. So what's a better way to respond as we conclude? Well, firstly, it's okay to call out to God, and it's okay to come to God with your questions and, your, and, your, and your, how you feel and your trouble, and it's okay to just call out to him. Uh, you get a whole book of the Bible, Lamentations, which is full of distress. It's full of distress. Many of the Psalms as well, David and the Psalmists. But Lamentations ends, why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? That's Lamentations 5.20. So it's okay for us to to call out to God and say similar things because it's in the Bible. So we can do it too. But ultimately, Paul and Silas, they refused to give in to despair. What was their response? They were in the prison. They were praying and worshipping. And others, the other prisoners, they were listening. No doubt they were thinking, what's so different about these guys? They've just been thrown in prison. They're in stocks. They've been beaten. Why are they singing? Why are they praying? Because the other guys weren't. What hope did they have? That was Paul and Silas's response, and it's the best response. We worship God anyway. We were singing it this morning. You are faithful. Highs, I won't let go. Lows, you won't let go. This will be my song. You are always faithful. Who knows? Maybe they were singing that. (laughs) They would have been singing something like that. That would have been the the equivalent. God, you're with us. You're faithful. They're feeding themselves. They're feeding each other with the truth. They're encouraging each other in truth. And, And it's a choice. 
It's a choice. They weren't going to be feeling like it. They were going to be, yeah, what a great day. We're going to be praising God today. They've been beaten. They've been whipped. They're not feeling like it. They're choosing. They're making a choice. They're saying God's always faithful. Sometimes that's just what we do. Sometimes we just say we're making a choice. You know what? I'm overwhelmed by all of these things. I've just got to make a choice. I'm praising God because I know God is faithful. I know God is faithful and has a plan for my life. And we worship. And then for Paul comes God's deliverance, an earthquake. The doors are flung open. Every chain comes loose. They don't make a run for it, though. And, and interestingly, neither do the other prisoners. Uh, the, 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 the guard, the, the jailer is about to kill himself. Paul says, we're all still here. I, I kind of think, well, why aren't the other prisoners going, okay, great, let's get out. Paul and Silas, you stay there if you want. We're going. Something's happened to the prisoners here, really, as well, hasn't it? Something's happened to the prisoners. They've seen something. They don't run for it. We don't know their stories. We don't know how many of them ultimately ended up in the church in Philippi. What we do know is God doesn't bring about freedom for us to go back into our old ways. God brings freedom to enter a new life. And that's what, exactly what he was doing there. And that's exactly what he did for the jailer. He and his whole family are brought to follow Christ. They join Lydia, perhaps the slave girl, in the church in Philippi. The magistrates come with the order, release these men. It's hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> they've gone to the guy's house and they've been preaching to him and everything. Oh, the order's come, you can be released now. Well, God's released them ages ago. Release these men. And, and Paul says, no, no, we want to be escorted out. And they go to Lydia's house, encourage the church, and they go and leave the city and ultimately go to Asia to preach the gospel, which had always been on Paul's heart. God had been at work. God was at work in the whole of this story. God's at work. You can see it. We have, as Susie, I thought it was such a, so good what you brought, Susie. You know, from, one perspe- from our perspective, we can look and go, oh, yeah, of course, God's at work. It doesn't look like that when you're in the middle of it. Many of us are in the middle of things at the moment. It doesn't look like that. We, we can have questions. But God is sovereign. God is faithful. He's at work through confusion and redirection and trouble and imprisonment. He's working out his plans and purposes. And in the end, we see that the gospel triumphs. The gospel triumphed at the Jewish meeting place where Lydia was gathered with the other women. The gospel triumphed in the city, the Roman stronghold, in the life of a slave girl who was oppressed by a, a spirit of Python. The gospel triumphed in the darkness of a prison cell where Paul and Silas were changed. The gospel triumphed over demons. The gospel triumphed over natural powers in the earthquake. The gospel triumphed over the magistrates. And the gospel continues to triumph today. The gospel triumphs in Sheffield. The gospel triumphs in Canada. The gospel triumphs here in the life of City Church. And as we hold on to God, the gospel will triumph in your life. And the gospel will triumph in my life. And so I urge us all today, let's continue to put our trust, our full trust in a sovereign God who does not lie. We may have many questions and no answers. And you know what? God says that's okay. We may be perplexed and hard-pressed and persecuted and struck down. But let's trust in the victory won by Jesus on the cross. In the gospel which continues to go out to rich and poor 
and everyone in between because God is continuing to lead us, lead us as a church, build his church here and across the world. He's the one who can be trusted because he is faithful. And in it all, our response, we sing songs of praise and worship to the living God because he's always worthy of our praise. So I'll pray and why don't we do that right now. Father God, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you don't let go of us. Lord, you, you win us, you, you called us by name and you won us and you say, follow me. And Lord, we know that if we follow you, Lord, you, you won't lead us outside of your plans and purposes. We can trust you. Even when it doesn't look as though things are going how we expect them to go, even when we are struggling with real things and, and, some, and really difficult things, it's okay. You, we can call to you and we can be confident of your word. Thank you, God. Your word is so honest and true. It doesn't give us false hope on other things, but yet it gives us such glorious hope for the future. Lord, we can trust you. We can trust you, Lord. I pray for each one of us here. Help us to keep walking with you in our lives, wherever you lead. Help us to keep trusting you. Thank you. You're faithful. Amen.